and we're live with our 190th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Uh, we're excited to be back as always. Um, got a few things that we want to run through today. Um, first and foremost, if you are going to be at DeepSec next week or are in Vienna or you know the surrounding area, please let me know. I will be there. We're um, teaching a uh, smaller version of the course. Uh, we still have a couple of seats available if anyone would like to attend. Um, that's at DeepSec Vienna next Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, and yeah, would love. I'm going to be bringing at least a little bit of swag with me. It's a it's a long trek, but I'll have a couple of t-shirts and at least some stickers and other things for Absolute Appsec. And would love to go grab a drink or whatever else with anybody that's in the that that will be in Vienna at that time. Uh, besides that, uh, we will be at CactusCon in January. Um, we did get the notification this week that we'll be doing a, a workshop, a secure code review workshop. Uh, it, it's going to be a little bit different than our normal course. Won't be the full you know training that we normally do. It'll just be a one day deep dive, probably led by me, Ken, and then Justin, who works with me, um, digging into a specific code base. So if you're going to be at CactusCon, um, want to come to the workshop, uh, let us know what code base you'd like to dig into as we implement the process against an open source code base. So we're thinking uh, something similar to you know, Absolute AppSec After Dark, the secure code reviews that we've done there, um, but in a live uh, context. And we will be doing a version of the uh, podcast as well at CactusCon. So during one of the speaking slots, we'll have a couple of guests and we're going to be doing a state of, app of application security talk slash episode slash live streaming and see how that works. Um, yeah, I think that's everything, Ken, unless I'm missing something else right now as far as announcements go. Um, do we, for for the um, for CactusCon, the panel portion, or is this one of those things? I actually forget. Are we, we're going to choose, choose folks at the conference? We don't, I don't think we've done that yet, right? Yeah, we don't know who else is going to be on the panel with okay. us. It was it, we'll, we'll determine once we um, once we see who, see who the attendees are. I mean, I, I know that Mike McCabe's going to be there, right? Like, I, I'm sure we could pull him up, ask some cloud security stuff. Um, but you know, it, it'll depend on who else is down there. Um, I we do have a bunch of contacts in the Phoenix, you know, metro area that we could pull onto stage. If there is a specific guest that you know is going to be there that you would like to see uh, talk to us about app, uh, application security, please yeah, reach out, let us know. Um, but we're excited about it, right? That's uh, end of January in Phoenix. Um, that's a little closer to home than DeepSec is. Um, but we do have a few other things on, on the horizon. I know there's going to be a training coming up in Seattle sometime in the spring as well, March, April timeframe. Um, I don't have a lot of details on that yet, so watch this space if you are interested in the secure code review, um, as well as um, international trips next year that are on our radar already. Uh, so hey, there's a lot in the works. That's all I'm saying. If you want to be involved, you know, just follow us on Twitter or yeah, like, as long as Twitter's mm -hmm. still a thing, right, Ken? <laughs> a lot, a lot of people have been sending me Mastodon links, uh, yeah. which is ironic. I won't get political, but I've seen the Mastodon links from both sides of the political spectrum. It's just funny now to see the flip to a different political spectrum side being like, now we're going to do Mastodon. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's just funny. The world cracks. I'm sorry. Society cracks me up. It just, that's, that's do. all. It does. It does. Yes. As a yeah. impartial observer at times. Um, so, yeah, so there's room for... Cause that's what, that's actually what I was bringing up is like, you know, who, who are we thinking about bringing on that panel and like, or is there, is there a room to like, like you asked, you know, there, there are certain people, um, I'm trying to say, can we ask the audience to, to give us some advice on who they might want to see? And I, I think it's funny you bring up Mike cause I actually spent a little bit of time talking to Mike yesterday and listening to his stories about, um, uh -huh. the practical world of trying to, you know, he mostly focuses on cloud security and has been doing that for a few years. 
at some pr at scale. So it's pretty interesting to hear um, what what's good, what's bad out there, um, and, wh and what it's what it's like to to do that. Um, anyways, I I know we've had him on the podcast and, and we described some of that, but uh, anyways, it's always, it's always funny to just hear the the practical side of like you know. There's like always the marketing side of things for like tooling and how things, you know, the, the pretty talks that people give at conferences. And there's like the, there's the other side of it, the practical, like everyday stuff. And it's, it's just funny uh, how, how different the spec or how different uh, those, those two things are or can be. I did want to mention too, that um, uh, next week, John Poulin, I have to mention it because John's a good friend. He's a great trainer and uh, we work together. Uh, he'll be out in San Francisco Yes, he's giving a one-day uh, training, so that's cool. The other thing I want to mention is John is also going to be, uh, I think, the next day at, I don't know the, the actual date, but I think he's going to be hanging out near the GitHub booth. So if you want to mm -hmm. come talk about GitHub application security, John Pullen will be there at the GitHub booth because they're a sponsor. Um, I know he's just going to be generally around the conference uh, having some, I, I'm just signing John up for work. <laughs> No, we, we talked about it. He, he actually, it, it wasn't me that signed him up for that. So, uh, but he's, we've talked about it. He's, um, he's kind of excited to be, you know, help answer some questions and stuff. Also get up universes this, uh, tomorrow and the next day this week. So that's always fun. If you, uh, if you are, uh, working at a place where you deliver features on a, on a platform, on a, at a conference, it's, it's always a little nerve wracking, Yep. you don't know what uh you don't know you know so you don't know what you don't know how it's gonna you know, go that. yeah yeah um so this is my this be like my fifth year in a row um yeah with that so this will be uh yeah hey we'll see how it goes anyways um i don't think i have anything else to mention besides those things just super psyched um i it's funny i actually lived in um i've never tried to live in not seattle proper but just outside for like eight months when i was like a teenager or oh no I didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that yeah yeah it was um it's terrible eight months <laughs> we lived there for eight months we could only handle the because it was like we had gone from the bay area to uh like this was like between the bay area having grown up in that general area and then like uh arizona and so like you can tell warm weather kind of folks so we went <laughs> yeah. up there and it was like and it was apparently is like one of the worst rainy snowy seasons. So it was just like, we were miserable. We, we didn't stay there long, <laughs> but, but Seattle was very cool. Downtown Seattle was very cool. The, I have to say one thing that's really awesome about that area is the uh, public transportation system. It's insanely good. Insanely yeah. good. Yeah, for real. So anyways, I don't know what I'm blabbing on about. Let's get, let's talk, let's talk about other stuff. <laughs> okay. I'll stop babbling. <laughs> Um, um, let's, uh, I would, I would like to start, I think with that generic list, right? I know it's not necessarily like in the news or whatever. Right. But, um, like we can get to, oh, open SSL, um, what kind of a non burger that was. I, I, I don't know, like in your world, if it, it really bubbled up, um, the open S open SSL vulnerability, cause everyone was losing their, you know, shit over it. Right last week and and then it got downgraded to you know from critical to high and even you could argue from high to medium um just based on what it actually was we do have an article that's related to it but maybe let's talk about the immutable laws of security before we get into that because it was an article released on microsoft's learn site um, within the last couple of weeks right I mean, I want to be clear. Seth found this link and Seth found out this stuff. I had nothing to do with that, even though we're technically you did, by that. Yeah. I actually had nothing to do with this and didn't even know about the article until Seth brought it up. So I just want to make that clear that I'm not some uh -huh. sure, sure. Microsoft shill. Microsoft shills that we have on the podcast. <laughs> um, okay. So you should take a look at this article, right? I, I, I mean, I find this entertaining and we did post it in the, um, in chat, right. Over like last week after the episode. Um, but the more I got thinking about it, the more I thought it would be a good, uh, representation or good, a good topic of conversation. Right. Um, because there's a number of different things that we always take into account when we're 
I mean, where we're talking about security in general. Um, and yeah, so there's two separate 10, uh, 10 laws, right? There's the 10 laws of cybersecurity risk to start with. And then there's, as reference, there's these immutable laws of security. Um, maybe I should actually share out. Let me, maybe I'll do that. Let's see if I can share a tab here. Yes. Okay. All right. Now, uh, you know, for, uh, as reference, like uh, immutable laws of security, the, the irony of the fact that it is version two of what are supposed to be immutable laws, uh, you know, we can't, we can't pass that by. Um, but yeah, I, I, like when you read through this, Ken, because I know you just did before we started today, um, what what was your initial uh, response to like these laws of cybersecurity risk? Yeah, actually, you know, Larry, <laughs> Leisure Suit Larry, I just love saying Larry, had brought up that um, number six might be number one, really, when you were thinking about it in order, which I'm not sure if this is any particular order, but. Yeah, it, actually, this is something, and I responded in Slack saying that this is something I'm realizing every single day more and more is is 100% spot on and accurate. Um, I don't know if that like a feel good, like we're all a team, we all got to pay. No, I mean, literally like uh, the, the well, for many reasons. For one, um, so like all the practical reasons we can dive into, but for one, like... Uh, Deduplication of effort. Um, you'd be surprised. I was surprised when we started doing some, you know, because we had to deal with massive growth and then there comes challenges. And one of those challenges is communication and then um, making sure you're not doing the same things in teams that are maybe like, especially in a security org of our size, which is very significant. Um, it's easy to just start working on a project, not realize there's related projects already in flight from other teams. So that's, that's number one is understanding that like, there's probably somebody who has a similar gripe or need or whatever, and is probably going to fix that. And so you should be communicating quite a bit to, to figure out what those things are. I think one of the ways we do that is surfacing things more and more um, like specific planned work at like a security org level where it's transparent. Everybody can kind of see that's been helping, but also just, uh, you know, having communication syncs between uh, yeah, just various teams to see what they're working on and then, you know, figuring out where there's a meet in the middle ground there. So that's, that's, that's a big, I think that that's a very important thing. Number six, like that it's a team sport. So we talked about deduplication of effort. Um, also, you know, like it, it turns out for some of our, you know, shift lefter, I don't know how you want to call it efforts. There were some tools being, as we did more, you know, more of that communication, we realized there were tools being built by other teams that um, we could actually leverage to help shift left, right? That, that it wasn't quite as obvious, you know? Um, but, you know, as we got into conversations, it became more and more like, oh, okay, well, I think also like because of the nature of putting everything in a transparent sort of like writing up issues and having project boards and all of this stuff and having discussions and, and all that stuff that, uh, allows people to kind of sift through and then see what you're working on. Um, and again, you'll find ways in which you, you're like, Hey, we have a similar issue. Um, so that's, there's been a lot of that, um, communication between departments. So you just mentioned, um, the CV and I actually had asked to get a, uh, it was offered. And I, so I said, yeah, I'd like, love to hear how we actually went about, um, handling the time leading up to the patch release. And then, you know, afterwards, so our uh, PSART team gave us a really cool briefing. They did a great job. They talked about all the, the stakeholders they worked with, not just in security, but also like outside of security stakeholders from, you know, engineering and product and design, all that fun stuff. So they, you know, and, and other, other entities be outside of that. So it was really interesting to hear how they actually got ready for the patch and then, you know, how that process looked when, once the patch was released and more information was released all, along with it. Um, and why I say this is because it was very much a team sport to get ahead of that, be ready and um, effectively ensure that we don't have risk from that, you know, potential or that per particular, I should say, particular patch. 
So that's also, there's just, I could, I'm going to babble on forever. There's a lot of reasons that you need yeah. to work with other teams. So that's, that's where, that's yeah. where, that's basically what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I mean, you know, pulling that up, I, I think depending on what you, what team you're working on, um, what the environment is, where you are at, like kind of what the risks are, where your focus is, these laws, you know, will apply or you would prioritize, you would put these in a different order. Just, you know, it's, it's so it's it's so dependent on the situation. I but the interesting thing here, like usually when we come out with these like, ten, you know, these 10 laws, these, you know, the, these lists, these security lists, I usually have some some beef with them. Right. As far as, hey, I may or may not necessarily agree with uh, with item four, or item six or, you know, this is this is up at night. But I find that I'm just nodding my head as we go through these. Right. Um, because it's, this is the same sort of stuff that you and I talk about during the course, right. As far as like making, uh, you know, implementing security in an effective manner, you know, whether that is like doing a secure code review or doing a, you know, a security assessment or building out security champions program, whatever it is. Um, but I did, um, so maybe what we can do is we'll just like, um, step through these top 10. I, we don't need to have a huge discussion around each one. Um, but at the very least, like we can, we can put some comments around them. So number six, what Ken brought up was the cybersecurity as a team sport, right? That's the, that's the one that's bubbled up. Um, but I also like number one on the list is security success is ruining the attacker ROI. Um, I don't know how many times I have to have discussions with, uh, you know, developers, administrators about limiting the exploit blast radius, right. Or the vulnerability blast radius, of um, someone actually exploiting a vulnerability in a running environment, right? Um, if I can get access to somebody's S3 bucket that houses all their customer data, right? That, that's a very easy ROI, right? For an attacker, right? That return on investment for attacking a central database of customer information. Um, there's a reason we put so many secures, security controls into protecting that sort of thing. Uh, but if we can limit what a user can get to and it takes them a long amount of time to actually do, to exploit something that is a flaw, a security flaw, most of the time they're going to turn away or they're just not going to get the the return that they want for spending all that time against it. Right? Um, I don't know. I, I, any, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, just to add to that, um, that, yeah, oftentimes you'll see broad 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 scans of something specific often, you know, like when something like the CVE comes out or something's been disclosed. Um, I mean, there's many ways this happens, right? I mean, that's just one Avenue for like mass kind of detection of low hanging fruit is basically what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, okay. yeah, that's typically, typically an op. I guess I'm trying to say it's probably more of a, a opportunity target of opportunity kind of thing in, in a lot of, in a lot of cases. And again, that goes on to the whole, like, man, there's been so many papers talks, you know, around all this stuff, but yeah, I generally, generally agree. If you can make it really hard and really annoying, um, then unless you're talking about a nation state or, you know, some high level attacker with a specific, uh, goal for your organization, um, you're, you're going to thwart a larger, a large number of, you know, kind of, silly yeah. stuff. So, yep. I, I mean, I feel like we could almost reference prior episodes on each of these laws, right? Like, I I, I'm thinking about the, the discussion that we had with uh, Daniel Ting recently, right? Like, you know, about the, uh, the attack that went on down or the exploit, the data leak that happened down in Australia, right? Um, that security success, it was so easy drive by attack wise to, to pull that data back that it resulted in this huge breach. Um, and that's where we've seen most of those huge breaches happen, to your point, right? The uh, return on investment for the attacker was pretty low. It was almost a, you know, a, a crime of opportunity rather than a real hack when it comes down to it. Um, okay, yeah. so that's that's number well, one. Number yeah. On that note, I just want to add, sorry, real quick before we move on, I do want to add, you know, last week's episode touched on productivity always wins, right? Yeah. And we talked about, we talked about with the medical space, how people specifically got around the solutions that were in place 
because it was making their job too difficult. And it was, you know, there was more risk in losing a patient or having some horrible medical outcome than sharing passwords or finding little workarounds for security. So anyways, like you just mentioned that we, a lot of this stuff is covered in the podcast and yeah, number three, it was just obvious. That was last week, basically. So, yep. 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 Yeah. So number three, product productivity always wins. Number two, not keeping up is falling behind. I mean, we've spent so much time on this podcast talking about where we get our news, how we stay up to date with security. Oh, it's a constant learning process. Right. And, you know, and this is just us in application security as an organization. This goes for every aspect of security, not just application security, but like even compliance and security tooling and uh, network side of things. Right. Like if you're not keeping up, you are falling behind. And when you don't keep up, that's where we introduce vulnerabilities into our security lifecycle. Right. Um, So, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's yeah. much else to say there, but yeah, go ahead. Well, and I, I actually think, uh, you know, us at GitHub are a good, good example in the sense of, um, you know, we, we are constantly trying to improve our, our SDL. Right. And, and that is a, it's a hard thing to do at our scale right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Ask me how I know, but anyways, how do you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're running a couple things that are really, um, projects that are and I'm part of that, uh, which is to yeah, shift things more left, lefter, like I mentioned. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time actually. Um and it's just a constant process of well, we use the term ship to learn, right? Which is, you know, apropos because we make mistakes, we make missteps, but it's all with uh in, in with getting better in mind, right? And we have to do that because as conditions change, both within the company and outside the company, within technology, right? The technology space in general, um, you can't, what worked a month ago, what worked six months ago, a year ago, doesn't necessarily work tomorrow. And that's the point I wanted to make here is that it's not, you're kind of setting yourself up for not necessarily like, what is it going to look like in six months, but more of like, hey, we have we have an outlook of a year or two here and we know roughly what that might look like over the, you know, over the course of the next year or two. So we're setting ourselves up for that today. Right. And then in another semester after this, this planning, the planning and the planned work that went into it is done. We'll look out even further, you know, and it just continues that cycle because if you don't do that, you know, you'll be behind pretty much instantly. And, uh, it's just hard, just hard to do that. Um, at a product company of this scale. Right. So, and it's, but it's challenging. It's fun. Um, but you have to do it right. You got to keep, you got to, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is like, you do have to kind of, uh, I'm just babbling, but you, you do have to get a, get ahead of things significantly ahead of, ahead of things. Um, just because conditions change a bunch. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I kind of have a love hate relationship with this, right. It's what makes work and what, what makes the industry so interesting. Um, because you do have to keep up, you do have to recognize what's new, what's coming down the pipe, what what's going to affect your day to day when new tools pop up, like how those can be used by uh, attackers and also by you know defenders, right? It's not just you know it it's not just the offensive side that we're concerned about. Um, so it's yeah, it, it's it's a constant learning process, right? Um, and you, you just have to be okay with that uh, in order to stay, uh, to keep your organization and yourself up to date, right? And secure. Um, I, I especially like number four, uh, right? Like attackers don't care. Um, why do I like it? It's because any component in your application or on your network that has access um, and, you know, can, and that has access to data or functionality or IPs or whatever, right? Like our networks, um, can be used in a offensive manner, right? Um, we do threat modeling for a reason. Um, attackers don't care that this is old functionality. 
if it's still in the application, it still exists, it can still be used to exploit and to attack the organization. They don't care if this is a webcam that was bought in 1998, right? Like, or whatever. Um, I'm going way back. But, you know, if that webcam is on the network or if that printer is on the network, it gives them further access into that network. Um, there's no there's no rule that the attackers have to play uh, by your, you know, your risk profile uh, and have to pay attention to what it is you are concerned about on a day-to-day basis. Um, if it exists, if it's running, it has to be protected, right? Um, and they're going to use whatever, whatever hooks, whatever ways they can. Uh, this is one of those where bug bounties has been especially good in uncovering those, um, those edge cases, those devices, the shadow IT, all that kind of stuff that exists that's out there for an organization and why we encourage so much of that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just agreeing. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting too, it's, and it's difficult because, well, there's, there's now these solutions out to like do that asset inventory, you know, um, detect all your assets. So that helps. And then there's like the idea of, you know, patching and all of that. But that's, again, that's predicated on the assumption that you know where all the things are. Um, so asset inventory and then, yeah, just keeping things uh, like that. Also that you have the ability to keep those things up to date. Um, meaning like, yeah, okay, patches for desktops and servers and stuff like that. It's easy or easy in the sense that, you know, you know, you got your source, your, your, your source and you know where it's going to go. Um or it's going to be pushed out to all that. You got your software systems to help you with that. But like they're, you know, to the point of like, what was there like a, something about a fish tank, like a a fish tank thermometer. Yeah. I mean, how would you, what what patching would you possibly, or, you know, configuration management, would you do on something like that? Right. Which goes back to your, your asset inventory. So um, yeah. So it's a pretty interesting one. Um, And you mentioned threat models. I think that's, um, that's one component, but I, yeah, I think like the red team activities help uncover some of those things as well, ideally. Um, and then your red team typically uh, works to help with, you know, detection and uh, prevention of those things being exploited. Yeah. I mean, from an application security perspective, I, I always go back to this. Well, you know, this excuse that I get from developers that, oh, well, that's deprecated. And I'm like, that's great that it's deprecated, but you still have SQL injection on this API endpoint that you are, you know, giving, you know, exposing to all of your customers or the internet at large, right? Like it's just, just because it's deprecated in the developer's mind doesn't mean that it's not still accessible and it's not still exploitable Um, until it's been turned off and I can't access or an attacker can't access it. It is an entry point into the application. Um, And, and, you know, the, the same goes for everything else. I, I, I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, right? Like stuff running on my, like my internal Wi-Fi network, like at my house or whatever, right? Like all those old devices that we turned on years ago, hooked up to the Wi-Fi and then just kind of forget about them over time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you go do an inter- inventory, of your local network, right? Like it's, um, it, it's not an easy thing to do and it takes discipline. Right. And, and this is where number five comes into play as well is this ruthless prioritization is a survival skill, right? Um, we just don't have the time or resources to act, to actually do everything that would be considered security safe or, you know, a security best practice. And so you have to eliminate the risks based on a prioritization of what is, what, what your current threat model is, right? Like, um, you know, like from a physical security perspective, right? Like you lock your doors, you know, you're probably more concerned about it based on the location that you're at, um, what you kind of perceive external threat to be. Um, But you prioritize whether or not you perform those functions based on the time, based based on the time of day, uh, based on, you know, level of activity, um, 
based on visitors, right? Like there's, there's all these different items that you roll into something like locking the doors on your car or locking the doors in your house. Um, but you prioritize that nor, you know, just from a, um, organic perspective, right? Um, just based on how you're living your life, but you've got to do the same thing with all of the security tools, this, your, your internet life as well. Um, and your organization's internet life. Um, we talk about prioritization when we're doing code reviews and assessments because we are trying to um, increase our return on investment, right? As an attacker would, as far as, right? Like we're going to spend the most time on the most security, security critical pieces of an application. Um, but that doesn't mean we're going to ignore the rest of it because attackers don't care, right? So it, it, like you have to balance these all out um, but for you as someone looking at code, doing assessments, living in the AppSec space, um, you've got to come up with a list of these are the items that I'm concerned about from an application security perspective, and they rate higher than these other items. Um, uh, that, that, I, that's, that list is going to change, but I don't, I mean, Ken, how do you actually do this sort of prioritization in your like day-to-day in your work life? Yeah, it's it. Well, so there's a there's a couple things to, to break down there real quick. I mean, all right. So first, uh, there's an interesting difference that I'm learning between. So let's talk about risk registries because risk registries are like where where you typically collect the risks, right? But the problem is, as I'm learning, is that that's that's not the same to every group within security, right? So talk about. Number six, it being a team sport, um, our more compliance-focused risk uh, group has a different understanding of risk than, say, our product security group, right? We are looking at ship-level, service-level risk, um, and a compliance, uh, governance risk, compliance entity is looking more at, you know, business risk, right? Which is, think of... Think of product risk as like a subset of, yeah, that type of risk, business risk, right? So it's it's a tiny subset that factors into the bigger, larger business risk. So that's the first thing is you have to understand that, I mean, not you, but people have to understand, including myself as I'm learning this, that there is, um, yeah, there's just different um, ways that, so different taxonomies for risk, different measurement and scoring for risk different um, factors that constitute what type of risk we're talking about. So there's like all these things about risk that you first have to define, clarify, and determine, you know, like how you're going to cat. And why I say this is because the risk registry for that group versus the risk registry for a ship service level risk and the taxonomy and the scoring, they're completely different things. They're related somewhat, but they're like one feeds into the other but they're, they're very different. So you have to create risk registries for, you know, the place that you're working within. For me, that's product security. Um, and there are other types of risk I'm not even going to get into because it'll turn this into like a forever talk. So anyways, we'll just start with those two. So first, like I said, you got to do all that. Once you do that, then it's, it's really hard because now you need to understand you need to collect all the sources for measuring risk, right? So you mentioned threat models. That's one That's one thing, right? The outcomes of those threat models have to be durably tracked. So say uh, there's a couple of ways of looking at risk. There's like risk that is just inherent, right? It's the way it's designed or it's maybe the data that it processes, something like that that cannot be changed. It's just, it, it's just inherent to, to whatever that service is, right? So that's something that needs to be noted and maybe the outcome of design consultation, meetings, of threat models, of whatever um, type of consultation service internally to the company, there are going to be some outcomes from that. Those have to be durably tracked. And one of those things, like I said, is surfacing like inherent risk. Now, there are other things that that have to be measured that, that cannot, or sorry, that can be changed and should be changed. But then it comes down to when do those need to be changed by, right? So, but that's not super important here for this discussion. It's like, we're talking about priority. I mean, I guess it is a little because it is priority, right? Like, are we talking about some, for instance, a vulnerability is very clearly like 
all right, if it's a high risk within two days, it should be fixed or within one day or whatever the, your, your company's policy is, right? But like something that's a, maybe an architectural risk or a design risk and can be changed, but maybe, you know, maybe it's not going GA for three months. When's, when, what's the measurement? It's not going to be the same, right? It's not going to be like, well, that's a risky type of thing, but it's not a vulnerability today yet, right? So the, you have to begin to, to, to realize like the, the way you handle the mitigation of vulnerabilities and the timelines you use there and the severity ratings and all that stuff just doesn't apply to that, this other bit. But that's only one bit of the various sources you're going to use to collect and understand service health in, in a sense or service risk. Now that's, that's one grouping. Now you got to think about, okay, well, there are going to be features later added to those services. So those have to be measured those individual features, the risk they present have to be measured, but then coupled into the larger service. So for instance, if I have a very low um, risk feature, but a very high risk service that's going into, where does that leave me? And you have to determine that as an organization. And I know I'm talking endlessly about all this, but this is a big part of my life right now is like, how do we ruthlessly prioritize? Like I run currently two teams, right? Uh, or, you know, manage overall two teams, uh, red team and assessment. And both teams have to decide how are we going to best reduce risk for the organization, right? Ideally, they're not coming to us and saying, this is what you should be fixing or, or looking at rather. Um, ideally, it's us surfacing that, measuring it and, and determining where our planned work and our operations are going to and reviews are going to fall. So this is top of mind for me. Ruthless prioritization is a very hard thing to do once you start breaking in, down all of those elements. But oh, it it's is. very necessary. Yeah. And, and yeah. I like, it, it's easier for me coming in as a consultant because it, it is like, typically my assessments are so defined in scope, right? That, you know, it, it's a lot easier to do prioritization when you're only talking about a single code base, a single application as opposed to organization-wide when you are dealing with hundreds, thousands of developers, hundreds of projects, hundreds of applications that support the project, all of a sudden you're starting to talk about business risk and in association with, with security risk. And right, like you, you, you turn that knob too far towards security and all of a sudden you are starting to affect business profitability and, you know, there's, that's a fine line to walk when all of a sudden you can't actually pay your bills or pay your people because you, quote unquote, secured an application out of existence, right? Um, and this, this prioritization goes into it, right? Like, this is one of those things that as much as, like, you don't like dealing with business people, they are very good at because yes. it always comes down to a does this overall affect the health of the business in a way that is detrimental to us making money and continuing as an organization? Because if it does, guess what's going to go out? That, that thing that you just suggested that you implement, um, you've got to take that into account. And that's part of what I've learned over my career is that listening to the business people talk about risk has actually helped me analyze security risk in a better way. Um, and be able to understand what is appropriate for the organization. Get outside of your box of, geez, XSS is bad, right? Like, or SQL injection is bad. Yes, but yeah, like you've got to take into account the rest of the organization. And that's why they recommend here, always, always start with what is most important to your organization. They don't start with, you know, you know, always look at the OWASP top 10 or the SANS CWE top 25 or whatever is trending on Twitter or Instagram at that moment. That's not where it, it comes from. It comes from organizational risk, which all these different components feed into. Um, it's such a challenging thing. You know, it is. I, I, yeah. what, I, what I can tell you from my, my uh, very recent work in this space at, a, at an organization of scale would, would be that yeah, everybody is actually, you know, it's funny, you get people started talking about risk and, and it has a, that is something they just, it's hard to stop, right? It's hard to stop somebody talking about risk. And it's, it's very, to your point, it's very much based off of where, where their view is, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why I like working so closely. I work very closely with the, the, the our governance and compliance folks, because 
they do. They measure that business aspect of it. And it's funny, we were doing this exercise of just collecting like, you know, we do a lot of reviews and I'm not talking about just security reviews. There's a lot of reviews. And we were like, hey, we should, to, to, again, talking about the cybersecurity as a team sport bit, you know, we started talking to other teams and realized, wow, even outside of security, there's a lot of reviews here. Maybe we need, need to make it clear how, like which ones are which and how to get to them. And, you know, like, what are the scenarios in which I might want to go through those reviews and then what reviews and what order and all this stuff. Right. And, we, and as we started unpacking, it's like, wow, there are a lot of teams that perform different reviews and, and, and all those teams ultimately feed up into this business uh, risk evaluation um, and all of those reviews and how they're measuring risk and what they're looking at when we talk about risk, it's just wildly different. Um, but, but uh, it's, it's super interesting because it's like you said, Let's say I say to myself, well, remote code execution, that's a really serious issue, right? And it is. It's a very serious issue from an application security standpoint. But if, you know, overall, um, the the business risk there was like, hey, um, it's going to have a small amount of users. It's uh, highly isolated. Also, we have these legal and uh, whatever restrictions um, that we prioritize getting through those things and reducing down those risks. So that might be having, you know, a bunch of conversations with, I don't know, a vendor or with whoever to make sure that, you know, we're, we're following or just internally making sure we're, we're I mean, I, I'm sure you've seen the, the hullabaloo about Copilot, right? You, you have to think a lot about those scenarios because as you ship something, there are inevitably going to be people that, you know, find, take issue with it from, especially legally, um, and so the priority might be, well, you know, we're not as worried about like the application security things for a number of reasons. We're more concerned about these other things. But, hey, listen, we want you guys on these calls because there's some technical input needed. So rather than having you maybe spend time doing this or whatever that might not be as impactful, we actually want to prioritize our efforts in this other way. And then we'll get to that other the part, you know, within what makes sense, like meaning like assessments or reviews or whatever. It's just interesting because it's so it's, it's hard for me to even give a scenario because it's so complex and it's so different in each case. But you're right. The business risk is ultimately the thing that matters. And in this over my shoulder is this uh, tribe of hackers book. And I think in there I, I, I had a quote about like um, something about like they had asked if you were to give advice to somebody coming into this field, what would you tell them? And I was like, well, just realize you don't matter that much. Like none of us do. Like we yeah. we think we do. But you don't. And understand that your job is to give you the best input and advice you can give. Right. That's it. And but if you don't own the business, that's all you can do. And I, mm -hmm. I love that you want to advocate super hard for it. We should. But if the business wants to go a different direction, that's not your call. And you just have to learn to accept that because it's going to come up a lot in your career, especially if you're on the, the blue team. Right. The defender team. It's going to happen a lot. You're going to get so people are going to tell you that's not a huge priority. And you're going to be like, what are you kidding me? This is so dangerous. And it's like, well, to you it is, but at the bigger picture, maybe not. Right. So anyways, just agreeing, I guess, in a long form with you. Yeah, no, it, I, I mean, it is, but it, like, and along those lines, like to, to go back to it, learning to speak business, right. <laughs> um, is, you know, as weird as that sounds, learning to speak um, to, and, communicate the threats that you see effectively to business and compliance and other organization or other teams outside of security is going to, it, it goes a long way to actually um, getting your priorities up that list. Um, because, you know, like, like open SSL, um, you know, not to go too much back to that, but um, right if it really is a huge issue, you can cry wolf a couple of times over the course of a year to get something done, um, but you can't do it every week, right? Like, because other things are going to take priority, right? A SOC 2 type 2 audit or a financial audit is probably going to kind of come above like your annual, you know, assessment at times, depending on where that fits because from a business prioritization perspective, understanding that where you're at, you're at in that cycle, and then also being able to communicate the risks associated with not implementing a control, not doing that security thing, like talk about that, right? It's, it's not always just the sky is falling. It's a, well, what is it? What, what's the worst thing that can happen if we don't implement uh, you know, input validation on this specific, specific field in the administrator portal? 
really, right? Like, you know, you've got to talk about impact. You've got to talk about risk that goes along with it in order to really get something done and communicate that with the business people, the guys that are in charge that are making those decisions. Yeah. And actually I want to add to this, this part right here, because, because one had asked a question about, you know, for smaller organizations with a lack of resources, uh, you know, how, what strategies or recommendations do you take? My strategy, like we, you and I actually, Seth, dealt with this when we were uh, not dealt with, but we, we had a situation arise like this when we were uh, consulting at the last firm together. And um, we essentially, we had a client um, doing cool stuff, VC funded, really awesome. Um, and uh, they had, they operated mostly out of the cloud and uh, they had like a newer tech stack. You know, I think at the time it was Node, which was newer to most folks. And so it was like, you know, like I said, it was a hip doing cool stuff, actually making money already and VC funded. So they were, they were in a good spot, but they still didn't have even remotely the security resources that, that they needed yet. Now, what they wanted to do was they actually wanted to start with like a deep dive of all their code bases uh, or their money-making code bases. Right. Um, and I think they, there was something else they wanted to do. And it was so niche and like, basically what we told them was, Hey, this isn't, yeah, I'm sure. We'd love to do that stuff for you. We like money and all that, but like, this is actually, is not the best thing to do first. The best thing to do mm -hmm. first is get your high, your basic hygiene minimums into place. You don't have any of that. So, and I'm thinking of like badge readers, you know, how's your cloud center operating so heavily out of the cloud? How's your, so like the physical stuff, right? Like how's your physical security look? How does your cloud security look like what basic access controls do you have there? What basic monitoring stuff that's free that don't, you don't need to spend more. I mean, mostly for you, right? I'm sure Amazon or Azure, whoever spends, you know, makes you spend some, some extra money, but for the most part, in, in contrast to some of the uh, stuff that's out there, you know, very low uh, level of investment and doesn't take a, a ton of expertise to get set up. So you can get some basic monitoring built into your cloud environment, you get some, like I said, basic security minimums, and then, you know, make sure your lap, your developers, lap, like within reason, right? Like your developer laptops, uh, you know, you probably have some level of standards in place, but like, you know, you're, are you going to go ca full carbon black with 10 developers? Probably not. It seems kind of ridiculous. Then you need a whole security staff and blah, 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 blah. So it's like, think a lot about the security minimums there and the height, the hygiene aspect, create some ba very basic policies there. And uh, if you do those things, you're in a better spot as a smaller org. Um, because like I said, if you're, especially if you're a smaller org, you're probably more of a target of opportunity than a targeted attack by an advanced attacker or actor. Mm -hmm. And so anyways, that's, that's my, I don't know. What do you think, Seth? What, what would you, what advice would you give to a small org doesn't have any real security resources to speak of. Maybe the, well, especially in this economy, the budget's getting slashed or whatever. You know, I think this is actually given the economy, the economic situation, the global economic situation is actually a very timely conversation to have. How would, how would you do it? Yeah. I, I, I like what you, you said about figure out what the security minimum is, right? Like, you know, we, we go back to some of those, you know, the books on startups about the minimal minimum, viable product, right? But talking about the security minimums are um, is, a, is a good way to frame and figure out what is necessary for your organization, uh, right? So, hey, you've got a code base, everything is in on this, you know, this one code base, let's make sure that it's protected properly, right? Let's put the security controls around it that we should have in place. Um, let's, you know, like Ken said, let's make sure that the, you know, the minute the the developer desktops that who has access to that code, right? Like that is where we start our security story. Um, and, and you'll probably want to frame it that way to the business people. Like what is the security story that we want to tell, right? We're accepting data from consumers. All right. How do we make sure that that's protected? That when someone has a question, even though we only have four developers on staff and one security flags like executive, that they can answer that question and answer that security story. Um, this is what they're doing. And you can expand out from there as you get more money, as you get more people involved, as you identify, identify more resources, 
but figure out what the what the security story is and what your minimum security needs to be in order to protect your organization and not be the low hanging fruit. Um, like every organization is going to be different, right? Some of it may be, hey, we want to make sure that all of our call center agents are, you know, uh, their conversations are protected, right? That sort of thing may be more important to your organization than some of the access layers or some some of the other things that you can put into place. That's great, but at least figure out what that is and frame the conversation around that. What you don't want to be do is be in the situation where someone asks you what your security uh is your security posture is, and all you say is, hey, uh, yeah, we use uh, military-grade encryption, right? That's, <laughs> um, that, that was the standard story for so long, which goes back to another one of these points, right? We can get to that. Um, but that, that would be my recommendation is figure out what that story is, ask that question, and start there. Yeah. And I, I like, I think Rafine, I hopefully I'm saying that correctly, comment there, uh, around like, because there's another element to this too, which is like, do you fall under HIPAA, PCI, NIST, SOC 2, type 2, GDPR, whatever, you know, there's also those uh, things you have to be in line with. However, a lot of things you just mentioned, Seth, they fall within those frameworks. If you're doing, you know, security minimums and, and you're yeah. prioritizing correctly, it probably falls within then some of those bits there. And I don't know that that was actually what Rafine, and again, sorry if I'm saying that incorrectly, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily what, like, you know, that's probably more about the, the uh, yeah. anyways, I think it may, may be related. Um, and I, uh, <laughs> I, I also, uh, this is the, the other comment from the chat was, uh, you know, regarding the attackers don't care. And that whole rule is no, but you don't understand that's a different team. So it's out of scope, even though our product is critically dependent on its implementation is, is a, yep. yeah, it's a classic yeah, totally a classic uh, response to things that's frustrating for sure. Um, I, yeah, but, I like uh, his other comment there too. Oh, or we patch that vulnerability mentally, but cannot physically prove it despite what the scanner says, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's already been yeah. taken care of. The scanner's wrong. The scanner's wrong. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a, Hey, we work in a tough field, you know, it's not an easy thing. And these are the things you, you deal with. And I, I forget where did somebody posted something somewhere in here about, uh, Oh yeah, no, no. Juan did about uh swift on security, putting a tweet out there that said, I'm sorry to report that working in security is less bleeding edge malware research and more project manager for people who don't report to you. That's, that's a hundred percent. The truth that is, that is, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> Honestly, did, I feel like um, did you did you fix that vulnerability yet? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Or you know, hey, did you uh, did you you know implement this thing in your you know secure code requirement into this? Or you know, did you hook it into our monitoring? Or I don't know, whatever thing you can think of. It's a lot of like, yeah, and also it's a lot of. Um, you know, because I'll expand even the cybersecurity as a team sport to not just security teams, but yeah, it's for sure like uh, engineering teams, because, you know, this is the one thing I, I would say, I would say that is, is critically important. Um, and if you're a small org, this might actually be easier um, is to just cultivate relationships with other teams outside of security, because you're best at, I know we talk about security champions. And so this is very obvious to people, but uh I don't know that it's a, uh, I think that's usually got more of a technical bend to it, but I have to be honest with you, the most value I've ever gotten out of establishing relationships is more with like product managers uh, mm -hmm. who have specific things they're working with their team to build on and know who, so like questions might come up. Hey, we think we need to put this control into place on this product um, because, you know, for, for whatever reason, how, how is that going to impact the user story here? Well, if it's just security and like some technical engineers on a call, nobody's going to have that answer. You need somebody who has a bird's eye view, who knows the people to talk to given the situation that you're in and who to pull in and, and, you know, just, yeah, who to get an answer from. And yeah. also to make you aware of things like this is the flip side of that. Security can't be everywhere at once. And I can tell you at an org like ours, code is going just nonstop, right? Like just being developed all the time. I can't, you know, you talk about ruthless prioritization and how do you do that? Yeah, there's a lot of ways, but, you know, an important one is just the human beings being 
you know, willing to come and say to you, Hey, like this is, we're talking about this on a roadmap. Um, and like, you know, there's some security things that kind of like we touched on in a meeting and we didn't really know the answers, but you should probably engage with so-and-so, you know, and that's, again, we all, I've, I feel like most people think of security champions and like a technical IC engineering or maybe an engineering team lead kind of thing. But I, I think that's, if you're limiting it to just that, it's maybe a mistake. So, yeah. Anyways. Well, and I mean, this, this goes to, num- no, no, this goes to number 10 in the list, right? Technology doesn't solve people and process problems. Um, you know, as much as we want to, you know, expect that the scanner goes out and finds all the vulnerabilities, a lot of the issues that we see come about because people are involved. Um, and it's great that there's AI that's out there that can, you know, I don't know, perform red team activities that can break down a code base. Um, but at some level, security is a people problem and it's a people solution. Um, so engaging with, you know, the team, right? Like making it a team sport, engaging with your project managers, engaging with security champions, using them as your eyes and ears, uh, like that all fo- that all falls under this umbrella of, hey, it's a people problem that has to be solved by people, right? Um, mm-hmm. Security, and so I really like that last, you know, half a sentence, cybersecurity is a human challenge and will never be solved by technology alone. Uh, it, it just won't, right? Like it's, you know, yeah, I, I mean, it's a short way of saying, yeah, people, people are the problem, but people are also the solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which yeah. is why you engineer for you know worst case scenarios it's why you it's why it's part of i think why zero trust has been become such a hot thought leader buzzwordy concept because yeah i mean you're 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 limiting you have to understand that for sure you're going to be like someone could screw up and click a not just click a link but they could just do something i mean frankly you know I can't tell, I can't say where, but you know, I have a, we, we have a mutual friend who worked at a place and they're internally, they transferred a bunch of money to um, a fraudster, like a high level exec did that and made that mistake who shouldn't have made that mistake, but it was because it was so believable and, and it was a lot of money and blah, 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 blah. Um, and it, and it happened um purely because like I said, it was very convincing. They were, they were kind of like, sounded like uh, from, from the secondhand, thirdhand story. I heard that that person was, you know, a busy person has a lot on their plate. Um, didn't look out of the normal, you know, used to train, this person's used to transferring lots of money to lots of different vendors. Um, so it was an easy mistake to make, you know, having said that, hopefully you have like insurance and things like that, just like in security, right? Like you, things are bound to happen and go wrong. The mistakes are going to be made. There's a variety of reasons why. So you, you typically try to engineer um, to expect that. And also this is why you've got your incident response teams. They have their playbooks. They have their exercises they go through for these scenarios. There's a million, million things we do these days to, to basically just acknowledge that, yeah, you're probably likely to get breached in some way and maybe not just once, and it's probably through human error. Um, so we'll do our best. We'll segment things, you know, institute, you know, both technical, technological and process processes that, you know, address this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, it's a human problem and that's never going to be solved like many other things in the world. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I know we're about out of time for today. Like we didn't quite get to the other article, but I did, I did want to touch on, um, you know, seven, like the, the items seven, eight, nine that are on here. Um, seven and eight are, are related, right? Like network isn't as trustworthy, trustworthy as you think. Right. Um, I would also like expand this out to your app and also your employees are not as trustworthy, trustworthy as you think. Right. And then, uh, number eight is isolated networks aren't automatically secure. Um, and again, I would expand that out like uh, application components, application libraries, third parties, like uh, even though you uh, like developers pull them in, it doesn't automatically mean that they are secure. Open source software isn't as auto- isn't automatically secure. Like any any component has to be reviewed and is not 
it, it's not as secure as you're, you're expecting it to be is basically what it boils down to. There's always edge cases. There's always loopholes. There's always shortcuts that are taken um, in any piece of software. And it goes back to that number 10 that it was built by people and people have a tendency to, you know, implement those sorts of shortcuts. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And then the last one that we haven't reviewed yet is encryption alone isn't a data p- protection solution. Um You've never had issues with that, right, Ken? It's always been <laughs> encryption solves everything, right? Yeah. No, it doesn't. It definitely does not. Um, but that's, you know, from an application cheap, security. Sorry. No, yeah, of course. Yeah. No, from an app, from an application security perspective, um, there's numerous ways. Uh, yeah, that goes wrong. Um, there's numerous ways, numerous ways, even encryption being. Actually, it's funny because, you know, we were just talking about how I was, uh, chatting with Mike yesterday and uh, mm-hmm. we were talking, we just, it just came up naturally that whole auth zero JWT library where you can call decode versus verified. Most people call decode incorrectly. So it, it decodes it and you think that's a security check and then it's like not. And so the signature can be totally invalid and the rest of the components therefore invalid. But however, you know, the application, anyways, my point is, is like, there's a number of ways that goes wrong. So yeah, this is this is absolutely number nine is spot on um, from data rest, data in transit, ways uh, that we use encryption to validate identity and access control. Yeah, there's just a myriad of ways this goes wrong. Yeah, and everyone has a different understanding of what encryption means, right? Within their day-to-day. Um, part of you being a security expert is identifying where it's appropriate, when it's not, when encryption is in play, what you're actually protecting against with those different encryption components. Um, yeah, it, it's it's not necessarily I mean, an easy solution. Yeah. I mean, we started this podcast talking about the CVE for OpenSSL, which was literally <laughs> a issue in the parsing and buffering of the uh of that uh that yeah. verification of the uh the, the, the signature um yeah so it's where it was like the puny code parser uh for for unicode to, to ascii right literally that that open ssl library you know what can you do if you've upgraded to like <laughs> actually i well never mind i won't go there um but if you've upgraded and you're like on the most recent version you know or like most more recent version um you would think, hey, we're secure and it's an encryption library that's well vetted and blah, blah, blah. And it turns out, no, you know, I mean, granted, and we didn't get to it. Not that, not as serious for a number of reasons than, than initially expected, but point is encryption doesn't always work, right? Yep. So, yep. yeah. There's always going to be a problem. And I did like that what Rafine was saying too, right? Like the cybersecurity is dependent on three P's, right? People, product, and procedure. Um, the the balance has to be there right and so like if you're too overly dependent on one of those like the product or the technology um, then it's probably going to fall down right if you're expecting people to do everything they can't right it's that learning for your organization what that balance needs to be to give you the best protection to prevent that you know the attackers roi from being successful so yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's a good discussion to have, right? Like, I, I, I knew it was going to go longer than we expected, right? And we obviously did because we spent an hour just talking about those 10 things. Uh, maybe I'll stop the sharing really quick. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's not all doom and gloom, though, right? Like, if you if you can learn those lessons from that that article sooner in your career and apply those in your organization, you're going to be better off than Ken and I were as we're stumbling around inside of different organizations, trying to figure out why certain aspects of security were either, you know, too effective or not effective enough, like we were, why we weren't getting buy-in. Um, it, it all plays in under one of those levels or under one of those laws. Um, and, uh, you know, if you have a chance, go read those immutable laws that are recommended to the immutable laws of security. Um, I mean, th- those are more kind of tongue in cheek, right? Like when someone else has access to your system, your application, it's no longer just your application, right? Um, somebody else can do something with it. Um, but I mean, yeah, like, so my final thought there is, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. 
Um, learn those lessons, apply them on your in your day to day, and you will be better off, and you'll be able to move the needle further along uh, than someone who hasn't, you know, taken that step back to consider the those different options or those different points. What are your final thoughts there, Ken? To your point, uh, yeah, we've learned all this stuff the hard way, I guess. It's probably, probably, and and honestly, it's not a it's not a destination, right? Just kind of to the point of like always moving forward. My understanding will evolve just as will yours. And, you know, next month, next year, we might look at things slightly differently. Um, yep. And I think that's, that's important to grow from some of those painful experiences or the best experiences. But uh, anyways, yeah. Cool. Um, the continual well, process of evolution. That's, that's what I'm trying yes. to say. Yes. What wasn't that number, uh, you know, yeah. I can't remember. Not number two, not keeping up is falling behind, right? Like it's going to change and expect it to change, right? Like just be comfortable with that. Yep. Sweet. Um, well, good. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, there's been a lot of good feedback today. We appreciate that. We appreciate the comments, the experiences that everyone has. If you would like to join the Slack channel, you can get there from absoluteappsec.com or Twitter. It was It did get tweeted out. Um, as a, you know, in the thread for today's episode. Um, but yeah, um, would love to, you know, see anyone next week or, you know, cactus con, um, let us know where other people are going to be from a, um, from a conference perspective. We will try to get to a few more conferences. Um, I don't know how much more will be this year, but into next year for sure, January, February, March, first quarter timeframe, we are scheduling out that travel now. Cool. Anything else, Ken, before we call it today? No, just as usual, thank you for everybody who supports the podcast by viewing. Um, so genuinely, thank you. Uh, you know, wish I wish I could be a deep sec. Uh, not going to be able to make it, but, um, you know, we'll 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 have other conferences. And um, anyways, uh, just, you know, like I said, thank you for all the support. Um, we wouldn't yeah. keep doing this podcast if it wasn't for that. So, yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, sweet man. All right. Well, thanks everybody. And, um, we, I don't know if we're going to have an episode next week because of deep sec, but, right. uh, we'll, we will figure that out. Uh, watch the YouTube channel and Twitter, and we will post when the next episode will go live. Ciao. All right. Bye.